Welcome to the Spooky Owls. My name is David Saunders, and today we're talking to researcher, author, and uh, live speaker Neil Nixon. Now, Neil's got a new book out called Why Mystery Matters, and uh, I've spoken to Neil a number of times about uh, different UFOs and other strange things that go on. And it, it occurred to me that I, I really need my education. Uh, lifted when it comes to UFOs. So we're going to do a little bit of a, a beginner's guide to UFOs in the UK, find out what they're all about, what what's sort of some fallacies, what are some, uh, you know, what, what you know, basically what's going on, because there's lots of stuff out there. And I'd, I'd, I'd really want to hear from Neil from his mouth about what he thinks about UFOs uh, in these spooky hours of ours. So today we're talking to Neil Nixon. Hello, Neil. How are you today? I'm grand, David. How are you? Okay. Yeah, good. Thank you. Just uh, just mentioned that you've got a new book out, Why Mystery Matters. Now, just to uh, start off the conversation, we're, we're talking about UFOs, but I do want to hear about this book first. What, why, why does mystery matter? Um, well, it matters because we benefit as human beings if we're engaged with stuff that is so much bigger and more complicated than we can understand. It just puts us in a position where we stretch our understanding and we stretch ourselves. Um, it matters also because loads of us are obsessed with the paranormal, but the book is sort of almost above and beyond the paranormal, although it's quite a simple beginner's guide. And it's just looking at the kind of overarching thing. And then thirdly, it matters because mysteries under threat like never before, because these days, things like the internet, for example, if we're not careful, algorithms and you know the, the internet and the silos that we get ourselves into, just drive us to more and more of the same answers so we're we're less intrigued and we just fed the kind of simple reward stuff the whole time and i mean putting it simply we're we're in danger of becoming a little bit more ignorant if we don't engage with the things that really kind of stretch us um so yeah that's it in a nutshell and, and, I, and I talk about this and obviously uh it spins off from a paranormal interest if you like it's a kind of you know meta paranormal thing that it, it, that's what's led me to writing this book because um i've spent enough time hanging around with people who are paranormal researchers and involved in ufo research and things like that that um it's just led me to the conclusion that there are just bigger problems than what are ufos and what are ghosts Mm. So, but we are talking about UFOs today, and that's mm -hmm. the, the the problem we're we're going to be well, not problem, but the issue we're going to talk to you about today. So, we'll put obviously put the details of your new book down below, and uh, you know, and there's many different things in that book that we'll be you know, hopefully be talking to you about in months coming. Uh, but first, we want to talk about UFOs. Mm -hmm. So, just want to, can you give us a quick overview of uh, the history of UFO sightings in the UK? I know it's very very big in America. You see lots of stuff coming there, but what do people who are new to the subject here in the UK, what should they know? Well, they should know that our history of sighting strange things in the sky or in the air, but very close to the ground, is as long and complicated as any other kind of developed country. And we've had strange sightings for as long as we've been able to record almost anything. So... Um, there's some doubt as to when it started, but there's no evidence that there was a time in human history before we encountered mysteries. So we've done everything that everybody else has done within reason. We've uh, we've seen weird lights in the sky. We've we've seen strange beings of several different descriptions. We've followed certain patterns over the years. So we've had um, 
we've had our fair share of what they call high strangeness cases where you get very sincere witnesses and utterly surreal stories um we've had our fair share of very hard difficult to explain away ufo cases and we've also had one or two that have become kind of very celebrated internationally because they're amongst the best ufo cases documented and reported ufo cases of, of any okay can you maybe tell us some of those notable cases well yeah i mean if we go right through the one what I think I'll do, this is okay with you, David, I might just chuck the names out and one or two dates occasionally because I'm conscious that we're doing about half an hour on this. So anybody who's looking into this can kind of Google these at their own leisure. But um, one of the earliest cases, there was a sighting in St. Albans. I think it was around 1254, something like that. Simple light in the sky sighting. But the weird thing is that somebody in the same place in 2009 had almost exactly the same sighting. Um, and that's, of course, sort of typical sighting. And the, the, the reason it's a sort of celebrated case, if you like, is that the 2009 sighting, the witness was, uh, was Kim Wilde, the singer, uh, which inspired some stuff on one of her albums. Um, we've got, again, if I was going to summarise it really, really simply, um, there was a guy who I knew through being involved in a UFO research group. So a guy called Ralph Noise, and you can Google this guy. There's not much online about him. And he was his his later years were about sort of crop circle investigation, but it's N-O-Y-E-S, and he doesn't get much of a press. But he'd been a lifelong servant of the Ministry of Defense. He'd gone from air crew in the 1940s to a long service in the in the MOD. And he's relevant in as much as we've always had good sightings to do with pilots and to do with military sightings and ralph would tell anybody that until he died at the end of the last century he would quite happily tell anybody that in his working life the mod had only ever got excited about three cases so it's probably worth mentioning those because according to the britain's ministry of defense these were the ones that really got them worked up one of them was to um during a thing called operation main brace which was a big military exercise in 1952 uh a Gloucester Meteor jet was coming into land and was observed from the ground. And there was an airborne object just behind it that seemed to be following it, which intrigued the witnesses who were military personnel on the ground. And then this thing shot off at high speed. So it didn't look like anything that they knew. About four years after that, in August 1956, there was a really complicated sighting which was revolved around two air bases, Lake and Heath and uh, Bentwaters in East Anglia. And most of the people involved in this were, well, a lot of people involved in this were American because there were American personnel at those air bases in Britain. Um, but there were also, there was a, you know, British aircraft were scrambled to intercept some targets in the air. And again, these were really complicated sightings. There was radar tracks, there were visual sightings, uh, a very, very complicated thing. And the, whilst it didn't take place in Britain, the other case that got the MOD really worked up was the a, a case that you can Google as a Wikipedia page about it, uh, the Tehran sighting of 1976, September 1976. And the take on all of these, as Ralph would explain, was that they were all cases where there was so much going on and briefly um, military witnesses, radar tracks and stuff like that led us to believe that there might be some kind of attack. Uh, so in the first opening moments of all of these incidents, it looked like it, we might be dealing with a hostile military attack, which is why the MOD got excited. You'll, you'll see loads about the MOD, you know, 
the more conspiratorially minded people will tell you that you know we've got hardware that's in hangars and stuff that's crashed on the ground and everything um but we have produced a handful of the most kind of hard to explain away sightings you know stuff that seems to confound science and we still can't explain to this day ralph would tell us and, and my take on a lot of this is that it proves that there are genuine mysteries out there and a bit like the nasa and the congress congressional hearings in the united states at the moment there's a lot of evidence that there's stuff there that we can't explain we're struggling to find anything that would convince skeptical people that there is proof of extraterrestrial involvement and i know ralph's take on it was that the mod's excitement about these cases was to do with the potential for them to spark a military retaliation when there was nothing to retaliate against what what is the uk's approach or the government's approach to the the topic of ufos well we've been in recent years we've been a lot more open about it again the the, the secrecy has lifted. We're not too dissimilar to the Americans in the way that we've gone about it. Uh, for, I mean, a big watershed for us was the Freedom of Information Act that the Blair government brought in. And one researcher in particular, David Clark, who's a, an academic, works in Sheffield teaching journalism, but he's a kind of legend of British ufology. He used freedom of information requests to get information about ufo cases because he's always been interested in ufos and he's written books about them um and long story short but eventually the mo one thing that surprised the surprised the black government they hadn't anticipated the tonnage of freedom of information requests that would come in about ufo cases so they guessed you know the usual political people would start asking questions about stuff that's hushed up you know to do with politics um and in the end the mod just made a very pragmatic decision about the ufo records they declassified a load of them and invited david clark who'd been doing all this freedom of information requesting <laughs> they invited him in to work with them and that led to the that they're now most of our ufo records are now in the public records office at kew um from about 2009 onwards and david clark even wrote a british britain's x-files book about it so the attitude officially is that they share information except where there's clear defense significance and you wouldn't want to share information. I mean, anecdotally, and back to that guy, Ralph, that I mentioned before, Ralph Noyes, he, because he'd had, he finished his working life as an undersecretary, which means that as a civil servant, amongst other things, he was briefing cabinet ministers on parliamentary answers. So he, his clearance went that high. Um, and he did tell stories about things he'd seen that haven't been declassified he, he said that in 1970 he'd been um he'd been one of a number of people in a briefing at the mod a lunchtime briefing and they'd, sh they'd seen photographs and gun camera film uh, of stuff that's never been made public but the the gun camera film he described was a uh, taken from an raf lightning fighter in the late 1960s i think it was and it was um just like an airborne object and you know the the mod seemed to be convinced that these things were natural atmospheric phenomena very rare and very difficult to explain away but there are still things like with any western government there are still things that would be classified and the reason for classification often would be that some of the objects seen might be military you know prototypes under test or similar okay are there any specific regions in the, in britain that are, that are considered hot spots for ufos i know there are for ghosts so i wonder for ufos well there have been 
that's not a simple question, David. You, you, you make it sound simple. It's not. Um, there, there are a few places I could mention. So there are places in British history which have briefly been hotspots. Uh, obvious contenders would be Warminster in Wiltshire. There's books were written about it. There was a local journalist called Arthur Shuttlewood who wrote a book, well, a couple of books about the Warminster thing, as it was called, which was largely airborne, you know, UFO sightings, but other things went on as well. Uh, there's a wonderful book called In Alien Heat written about it, which is a kind of social history, which presents the case more or less as Arthur Shuttlewood getting very excited and loads of people getting wound up about it. Bonnie Bridge in Scotland is a similar case that there were some sightings up there which sparked a kind of mini wave and to the point where people would flock to the place and then in the, what, what was known as the the Diford Enigma or the Broadhaven Triangle in Wales in the 1970s is another example thereof. If you look at it statistically um, the places where per head of population you're more likely to see a UFO in the UK are number one London, number two Kent where I live. Um, and there might be very good reasons for it. I mean, let's take Kent, for example, um, which is I would love to think the aliens want to come here and visit me personally. Um, a very good reason to believe that that's not the case might be that it's a largely flat county. We've got the North Downs running down the middle of it, but there's loads of places in Kent where you've got a huge view of the sky. We're on incoming air routes from Europe, so there's a lot of overflying of Kent. So... Um, and also there's a lot of Kent, it kind of sticks out. So you're looking out to the coast. So you often see lights in the sky at, at, at quite a distance. And crudely, uh, one thing that anybody who's done any serious UFO investigation would tell you is that when you're dealing with somebody who sees a mysterious light and it's behaving in an odd way, but it seems to be there for a while. Um, one thing that is very, very difficult to estimate is the distance between the observer and the light. Uh, and it's often in the nature of people observing a light that they do make a, a, a an estimate of the distance. Um, but if there's nothing between them and the light to allow them to judge the distance, then um, it's difficult to know for sure. And the reason I mention that is that Kent is the kind of place where you could very easily see something that's closer than you think or further away than you think, make a complete misjudgment about the size and the speed of the object. Um, and a lot of Kent sightings are lights in the sky or complicated light in the sky things but statistically speaking um i'm living in the second most likely place to see a ufo and I, I live in hope i mean i, I live I've, I've seen weird things in the kent sky which i won't bore you with because most of them were very mundane when i went away and thought about it and i've learned a lot about what can fool you down here um but i've yet to see a landed alien spacecraft with little green aliens running around okay well, what, what advice would you give someone who has thinks they've seen something well, how, how would they report it? What would they do with that information? Well, um, there's a number of, there are obvious things you can do. I mean, you Google this and you'll, I, I put somebody recently in touch with a Facebook support group for abductees. This is somebody I met who just identified herself as an abductee and was knew that I was interested in UFOs and everything. Um, I would, I'd recommend doing something a little bit more serious than just going online and finding the um, the first Facebook or social media group you can. Um, I mean, I'm a member of ASAP, the Association for the Scientific Study of Anomalous Phenomena, and 
they study ghosts, UFOs, all kinds of things, but more to the point, they're serious-minded, skeptical, and they've got access to academic expertise in certain areas, which is quite handy when you're dealing with a particular sighting. You know, people who just know things about, you know, optical illusions or other bits and pieces. Um, the What used to be the go-to British group, Bufora, are still active, but not really. They... They ceased to be a membership organisation in 2005. So when I got back seriously into sort of paranormal research after an academic career, um, I joined ASAP because partly because I literally could not join Bufora. <laughs> yeah, you know, there's a bunch of people still there, but you can, they have a site, they have a, an option on their, their website is still active. You can report sightings to them. The handful of people who are still active there are experienced UFO researchers and would be more likely to put your thing into context quickly and efficiently than than most people. Okay, we've just mentioned the the uh, the UFO scene here in Britain. How does that compare to other countries? Because you know, you've just said that it sounds like that ASAP's uh, you know a good organisation to join if they're interested in that kind of thing. But what else is there? Well, there's, there's, there's lots of amateurs and uh, there's lots of sort of small amateur groups. There are less, when I was first really active in this, I belonged to the that thing called UFOPRA, which is where Ralph Noyes was, but East Anglian UFO and Paranormal Research Organization. And they were fairly typical of a lot of groups, which were civilian groups that would meet on a regular basis. They'd been known, for example, back in those days, these kind of groups were known to the police. So if the police got bizarre sightings and stuff sometimes they were just passed on uh these days a lot more of it is online self-appointed people who tend not to meet and review things in the same way um but in that sense we're we're very typical of the rest of the world where a lot of it's gone online the main place i think we differ from the, the, the biggest by far the biggest number of ufo researchers active ufo researchers in the world are in the united states and that's not just because the United States has more people in it. That's because there's just more interest. So per head of population, you're more likely to be a UFO researcher in America than anywhere. But the big difference is that a lot of American research is still very much driven by what they call the ETH, the extraterrestrial hypothesis. So the belief that all this is down to aliens and, and physical craft. So MUFON, which is a big organization in the United States, for example, is still very much believes that. The handful of people who are actively involved in Britain and are united around paranormal research and UFOs tend to be more broad-minded, skeptical. You've probably got a higher percentage of professional academics and similar in their ranks than you do in other countries, um, which is, has led to us being quite a broad church, but also of late it tends to whilst the american reports tend to make the british media a lot of the british stuff tends to fly under the radar or turn up in the daily star or somewhere where it's presented partly as fun and there's no kind of i love the daily star for all the reports it puts out there but they're pretty indiscriminate as to you know they'll, they'll put the most surreal thing out one day they'll put the most substantial thing out the next day and whilst it's it it gives you an insight that they just tend to stick it out there and they don't do any follow-up on it okay. what, are, what are some of the common misconceptions that uh beginners who want to get into ufos should be aware of um well first of all that if you get involved in it you're going to find the truth the alien existence truth very quickly um i believed that when i was 13 <laughs> 
it's not going to happen. Um, I'd love to be wrong about that. Secondly, the, um, I suppose that uh, Britain is anywhere different to any other place. We're, we have we, we produce about as many sightings as, as, as any other. And then the, the other misconception, I think, is that the whole thing is based, certainly if you read the popular media and the, the best-selling books, they're always harping on about that thing I mentioned, the ETH. And actually, I would say that one of the most popular misconceptions is that that's the, one of the most exciting areas to study. There's loads of interesting stuff being discovered in UFO reports and people reporting UFO reports that's feeding things other than belief in aliens. It's, you know, it's a, since academic publishing got a lot more widespread and there's, um, you know, a lot more free access stuff out there now and whatever, it's just cheaper to publish the stuff. Uh, there's a lot of social, sociology, psychology, places like that. We're learning a lot um, studying UFO groups and people who believe in it. And it's teaching set. I sometimes say this in the talks that um, a lifetime of obsession about UFOs has taught me a hell of a lot more about my human beings, about my fellow human beings than I ever imagined. And it's a popular misconception, I think, that if you studied UFOs, that you wouldn't learn much about people. You actually learn a lot about the way the world works doing it. Could you recommend any resources such as books or documentaries, websites? You've mentioned a few today, but are there mm -hmm. anything that anyone you, you, you direct people towards to find out more information about? Go and have a look at ASAP. Go to a conference. I mean, that, that would be the obvious one. If I was going to mention one, a one-stop resource shop online is the website of Isaac Coy, um, which is Isaac like you'd expect to spell it, and then Coy like a Coy carp. Um, it's a pseudonym, and Isaac Coy is a British barrister, but he's on a absolutely worthy mission to put as much good information on one website about ufos as he possibly can and given that he lives and works in the uk his site has a lot of british ufo information and it's probably in my humble opinion it's the it's the best online resource at the moment that would teach you about you uk ufology okay so and that's awesome so we'll make sure that's we'll, we'll make sure that's available to people so they can find it now what uh i just a couple more questions before before we finish and i haven't asked you the big one you, you've kind of alluded to it whether you've seen anything or not you said you haven't but what do you actually think like what if i said to you now are they are there extraterrestrial type ufos because we know that there's things out there that are possibly military or whatever they are because they're unidentified what do you think when people see what do you think with regard to the extraterrestrial stuff, I'm doubtful. Uh, I'm doubtful that we've got any hardcore case in UFO history that would prove it. Um, I think, for my money, if anybody wanted to Google this, I think the best case, the best case in UFO history is a thing called the WOW signal, which is just a strange signal that was picked up by a radio telescope in 1977. Um, and... If you, if you, even if you went to the Wikipedia page about that, there's loads of good ideas about what it might be, but nobody, absolutely nobody knows, and there is no definitive proof about it, and it may be extraterrestrial. But, I mean, weirdly, it was picked up on the 15th of August, 1977, so I kind of make a joke in my talks that since all bets are off, uh, that was picked up the day before Elvis died. I mean, it might be the Space Brothers calling Elvis home. But, that's, but you know, I'm... It's as good an argument as any because nobody, no reputable P 
peer-reviewed science has ever proven what the whale signal is. There are a handful of amazing UFO cases. I am doubtful about whether aliens have contacted us, but there are two things I can't deny. And since I've got back to doing much more live talking in the last few years, uh, this has just hit me in the face again from when I was last really actively involved in it in the 1990s. Number one, when you do a gig on, when you talk about mysteries or UFOs, it's in the nature of that event that people will want to come forward afterwards and tell you the most bizarre things that have happened to them, right? And that happens all the time when I'm doing this. And there are two things I can't deny. Number one, that I'm faced with people who've had very sincere experiences and generally don't want these things written up or reported or whatever. They just want somebody to understand and they come to you. If you do a talk on this, they'll come to you because they assume you will. Secondly, that these things are bizarre there are common elements to them they're often very common elements to do with how people experience them but they also have their own unique details in them um so we're dealing with, we, we are dealing with a range of phenomena and we are definitely dealing with things that affect people and crudely they affect you the way that a random accident might affect you some people's lives are completely changed a lot of people are shaken up how do you, there's a lot of people connect uh, what we would class as ghosts, you know, spirits, that kind of, you know, spooky stuff that we talk about a lot on Spooky Isles with UFOs, like somehow there's a connection. Mm -hmm. What do you think of that? Oh, no, I, I, absolutely. That's what I was saying, really, that um, a lot of the reports I've heard, and I think a lot of the best UFO cases, actually, were the ones where it's very hard to dismiss them. Um it, it is that way because they've got very surreal elements to them. I mean, if anybody wanted to Google a truly surreal UFO case, uh, the Mince Pie Martians case from the 4th of January 1979 in Rowley Regis in Cheshire, um, which I recently wrote up for your website. Uh, on the one hand, you're faced with a witness who had the most bizarre experience and it seemed to be linked to an object that had landed in her garden. So it's a UFO case by default. On the other hand, the beings she encountered were very, very strange uh, and seemed to have just kind of knowledge of absolutely random details of human life, including Bruce Forsyth's catchphrase. Um, now, you don't come all the way from Zeta Reticuli for that, and they had the same kind of strange physicality, non-physicality that nature spirits of years ago had and that people often report with ghost encounters so i think it's entirely possible that some of these things whatever the cause is are they're linked i mean they're linked certainly in the way that people experience them and we've just over the years we've we've interpreted them in certain cultural ways nobody really these days sees nature spirits fairies or things like that they were much more commonly seen two or three hundred years ago but the same odd features of those encounters for example a simple thing if you bring something from the fairy realm in a classic fairy story then you tend to bring it to back to the reality you live in as proof the second it gets here it just falls apart as evidence uh, now that was a, re a regular feature of stories of people encountering the fairy realm it's the same with ufos there are UFO cases well so, several dozen ufo cases where there are people who've attempted to bring things out of a ufo to show their fellow human beings and typically when the evidence arrives in our world if it does it's very unconvincing um and that's a commonality between two different kinds of paranormal encounter but you can't ignore the fact that it's a commonality you can't ignore the fact that um that happens 
regardless almost of the kind of paranormal report. Okay, well, that's very interesting. I just say, before we finish up, I just what do you what do you think of the current challenges and the what's going to happen in the future as far as UFO research is concerned? Um, well, some of the things that you might imagine. So we've got to a point. I don't want to go into all the kind of politics on this or whatever, but we've got to a point where it seems that the pressure of the public in certain countries, particularly the United States, and to a lesser extent this country and one or two others, is forcing UFO reports out into the open. It's forcing apparently more transparency from governments. I think that will continue. My best guess would be that certain things that um, governments didn't want to reveal or apparently didn't want to reveal will become public knowledge, but I don't think any of that will be proof of alien existence. Um, I think you might find that there are more strange reports in the mod than we realized and you know that thing i was saying about that gun camera film that ralph noise claims he saw well <laughs> when that becomes public remember where you heard it um i also think that artificial intelligence will apply itself more to this in a good way uh, it probably not in a way that will satisfy the hardcore believers in aliens and i think that the I think that the expanding field of academia who are getting involved in this will probably start chipping away and presenting people with answers that are actually very substantial, even, again, if the more popular end of the UFO market doesn't want to hear them. But um, I know the not this year, but last year at the ASAP conference, about 40 45% of the presentations, just a little bit less than half, were people who were doing PhDs in various bits of, you know, the paranormal, like looking into membership of ghost groups and stuff like that and a lot of what was coming forward was interesting and insightful and and obviously this is phd research this is stuff that's got to be eventually academic papers and peer reviewed so um you've got to stand it up to a fairly high level of provability and i think i think there'll be a lot more of that in the future simply because it's in the nature of the people who are doing research now i mean in that sense i wish i was about 40 years younger because that's exactly where i'd be going yeah well thank you for that neil it's, it's been lovely talking to you before you go can you tell us what you what's coming up we've got halloween coming up you've probably got lots of uh you know any new books any new adventures tell us what um, do we need to keep uh, keep our eyes out for no so well i haven't got a new book come well i'm, I'm I, I write about other things apart from the paranormal so i'm like, almost certainly the next book i write will not be on the paranormal um i'm, I'm I'm doing loads of gigs. I mean, I'm, I'm getting just to do with if you're interested in UFOs and you talk about it, I get a lot of webinars from places like America and stuff. But I'm I'm, I'm getting book like book for live speaking in the UK. I don't actually I don't have a date on the on Halloween. Somebody was talking about doing a thing in a local restaurant, which I, I'd love to do, uh, you know, paranormal and, and uh, pumpkin pie or something like that. It was going to be. But we'll see. Um, I'm, I'll mention one thing and then shut up. Uh, I'm, I'm doing something I've wanted to do for a while. I'm doing a paper for, this has got to be in for Halloween. This is the deadline. I'm doing a paper for the serious book that ASAP do once a year, which is a thing called Anomaly, which is a kind of peer-reviewed journal of, you know, involved paranormal research. And the, the crudely, it, it's asking the question whether the existence of God is the ultimate paranormal investigation, anomalous phenomena. In other words, it's looking at the big pattern. You know, is there intelligence in the universe and everything? Now I've only got five hundred, five five thousand words on this, so it's it's more a think piece about do we park the ghost investigations and the UFOs and try to look for the bigger picture? And if we look at the bigger picture, is there like an intelligence behind this that we don't appreciate? So uh, 
that is going very slowly and i'm finding it really really engaging and it's so you've basically got to prove that you've got what four weeks or something like that to prove god exists is that what yeah, you're trying to yeah. Do? I, I can smash it but I'm, I'm really looking forward to doing that and i think when i've done that i'll probably get out and start you know i'll, I'll figure some way of working that into live talks because it's 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 proving it's proving one of the more interesting things i ever thought about it's challenging my assumptions about a load of things which is why you do it in the end yeah well, there you go you've got us got us thinking at the very end just through that one in that's excellent anyway thank you for that neil it's always a pleasure talking to you really hopefully we can talk to you again it. because you've got so many things uh your, your new your new book's called why mystery matters, matters matters it does. <laughs> it does and uh we're very very interested in it. and we'll uh put all the details uh below and uh so people can find out more about you and uh do check out that article about the mince pie the mince pie called? martians on the spooky isles yeah it's a cracking a cracking it case it is a wonderful thing especially for tommy Steele fans so they can uh they uh, <laughs> they can check it out as well and they'll find out why all right then uh, you have a great day and we'll talk to you later see you later cheers